Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. So if this is your first time on the show, what are you doing? Why haven't you been listening? But anyway, Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life life who are in essence changing their own reality so we'll be hanging out and interviewing through the show social change makers entrepreneurs business owners industry leaders to even artists musicians content creators and inspiring individuals from all across the world and i hope that through the show you get to meet different people from all walks of life whose experiences inspire you to make the most out of your own journey and give you a little bit of direction into where you're headed as well So I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are so many people out there who make waves in the lives of those around them and do phenomenal things. And I'm super passionate about learning how these people are changing the world in their own capacities and uncovering the lessons and things about them that enable them to do so. So hopefully we can learn from these little snippets of wisdom and apply those same things in our own lives. And personally, just to show you how big of a fan of stories that I am, I actually founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance. It started off in Malaysia, which is where I'm from. But today it works with over 28 different countries, um, 900 communities, and we collaborate with global ministry of educations or um, large MNCs to provide an alternative education platform for any student out there who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover their passion, figure out more about themselves through working in the world around them, experiential learning, active learning projects, and use those meaningful experiences to create their own careers while they're still in school that not only has a meaningful impact for themselves, but for those around them as well. 
And to date, we've been fortunate to receive the Diana Award for Social Action, work with thousands of kids, and even incubate social uh, projects, social enterprises run by students aged 8 to 25 years old themselves. And all of this has been possible because of the power of stories, because of kind individuals who spend their time, share their experiences so that others can learn from them at whatever stage they are at. And just like that, I hope that this show is the same platform for you guys so that you guys can learn the things that you need to start your own careers, to figure out what you love doing. And hopefully get a snippet into how the real world and the industries that you are passionate about actually work. And if you have any questions about potential episodes or industries or people that you want us to talk to, do drop it in the show chat and we'll try to take as many of them as we can and reach out to whoever we can. Now, today's episode, we are interviewing someone who I personally have been looking forward to chatting with on the show because he's someone who's not only phenomenal uh, as a business person, but he's also an extraordinary content creator. So today we have with us the head of innovation for YouTube Originals, who prior to his role um, at YouTube um, or during his role at YouTube actually oversaw films, series and projects with some of the famous stars that you know and love from people like Daniel Lovato, Katy Perry, Kevin Hart and more. And before joining YouTube Originals, he both served as YouTube's global head of creative strategy among other roles as well. He also prior to this was the vice president of programming and content development at the online video leader Next News Networks, where he led content strategy as the company built viewership to over 2.5 billion total views. And he is also um, uh, someone who has uh, been no stranger to YouTube superstardom himself and started off as a creator as well. He started off in entertainment where he founded the comedy network Barely Political in 2007, which has been viewed over 3 billion times since it launched. He developed um, various other networks such as Vsauce uh, with uh, Michael Stevens, which has a combined 1 billion views across um, their various channels and was also number one in education for the longest time at YouTube. So just like that, he's someone who has so much experience in all aspects of the whole content creation arena, the business behind it. And we're so honored to have him on our show. He's also a Warren alumni, so definitely someone who I think we can all learn a lot from. So without further ado, let's welcome Ben to our virtual stage. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how you doing? I'm great, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's about 7 p.m. where you are at. Hopefully you've had a great day so far. Great day. Yeah, and like, as I said, thank you so much for being on the show. I personally know so many students at Penn who um, either have been fans of your videos or have watched them before, or who are just genuinely interested in the content creation space and have been looking forward to hearing your experiences on it and hopefully learn a thing or two. Cool, yeah. sounds great. Yeah, but you were also someone who, as I mentioned, were very like entrepreneurial even before you got into kind of like the whole YouTube and even before you were at Wharton itself. So yes. I think I, I watched one of your previous interviews where um, you mentioned that you are entrepreneurial ventures started in a way when you're in high school and you were working on small like projects, selling yeah. the, like things like pretzels and all of that. So where do you think like your journey as either an entrepreneur or someone who's just um, really into like this space of either content creation or business started? And 
would you like pick business over content creation or one over the other or is it something that has always come naturally like on both sides to you uh yeah i guess there's a few questions there um i mean my uh my dad started a company around 1980 and a lot of people you know sort of that I was surrounded by had done entrepreneurial things so i think maybe that was part of the motivation uh yeah definitely remember back in middle school buying you know 10 packs of gum for 20 cents a piece and trying to flip them for 50 cents a piece and then in high school uh yeah job selling soft pretzels college tried a bunch of different ideas to make money and i guess i i when i look back at uh the things which i'm most proud of you know post-college most of them were when i was able to try to come up with an idea start it build a team make it happen um so let's see so that would be question uh one i might have a little bit of a recency bias here but i saw this thing that was like you mentioned in your intro people trying to find what they love to do and i saw yeah. this thing that was like very often it's not so much that you know you're so passionate about one thing it's more like you find you're good at something and then you become passionate about it because you're good at it and i guess some of those uh startup ideas i had some success with early and then wanted to stay in that space um and then yeah after undergrad i started a company right out of school i went to the university of wisconsin so my first professional experience was with you know a startup for five years uh that i started with a few friends of mine so okay so that was question one what was question two again question two was like you seem to have both the business side of things and also the very cool content side and the creativity to actually like i don't know bring ideas to reality so like which like do both of them come naturally to you or is one more i don't know akin to your personality and you've had to like learn the other oh hmm. um i mean i'm not sure either of them come naturally to me uh i i would say that has been something for me you know, I graduated uh, 20 years ago or so. Uh, uh, no, more than that from undergrad. Uh, man, I guess, yeah, it's been a while, 20, almost 25 years. And, you know, for me, I think uh, I was kind of always going back and forth in both college, professional experiences between things that were like very creative driven and then also trying to figure out because I like the entrepreneurial side of things where, you know, that fit in in business. So like um, as an undergrad in college, I wrote like a weekly humor column, but I also, uh, you know, got a degree in business. And then when I had my startup, uh, it, a lot of it, I was on the road for it. I was like uh, trying to run this company, but then also trying to sneak in learning how to do stand up on the road on the side um and then i went to business school uh like you mentioned at wharton and it was like phenomenal experience and learned a lot but then also while i was there i was the like head writer of the comedy show and um actually started a few charity comedy um stand-up shows so i liked comedy a lot then then i went into advertising i mean this is also i guess this is just kind of running through my history here but went into advertising 
um, and like that, but then really found success when I started my own YouTube channel and got to be a creator. So yeah, I guess I've gone back and forth between being like, you know, creative as the main thing I'm doing all day, every day to jobs that maybe were a little bit more, um, yeah, business entrepreneurial. Okay. Very cool. You mentioned like, even like while you were like, yeah, but I'm the, answer the question though. Sorry, because I'm remembering it now. Um, I guess what I would say though is that neither of them really came naturally to me. Like I remember being, you know, terrified when we were going out on the road starting this company, a few of my friends and I in I guess 1998. Um, I remember being terrified the first time I wanted to try stand-up. I remember when I'd write articles for the college paper and I'd see like students reading them in the big lecture halls, having like a pit in my stomach about whether or not, you know, I wrote something that was decent. Uh, so I guess for me, like I like taking risks, but I certainly wouldn't say any of that stuff came naturally to me. I, I, I remember being, you know, certainly, you know, nervous about a lot of those ventures. What do you think was that like, like, the like one experience that really defined for you that oh this is a good idea maybe in like your entrepreneurship venture in the very early stages because if it's not like one thing about i feel like many people that i've seen is that they they're always like unsure like is this the thing for me or like maybe they get into something but they're not totally convinced but then one or two things happen or a series of events happens and that kind of like you know as you said the passion kind of grows from there was there any like particular experiences for you when you first started, like, because you said you tried out like a bunch of stuff at college, was right. there a particular thing which you went, this, this works, I want to try this out more in depth. And how did you feel? Like, what was that, like the whole experience behind that? Uh, let's see. I guess I've had a few of those that were like, you know, for me, most of them were things where yeah, I bet on myself, I put, you know, like a lot of effort into something and then it worked. I mean, a lot of things didn't work, obviously, also, but like the defining ones for me, or when I spent a lot of time planning for something, got myself all psyched up to do it and it worked. The, the first one that stands out for sure was my junior year of college. Um, there was a, a football game and, you know, everybody on the way into the football game, it's like, you know, Camp Randall holds, I think, 70,000 people. Everybody on the way in is, is filing in at like nine in the morning. And I set up a pretzel stand, which I had done in high school uh, you know, working for somebody else. And for this one, I remember I had, I bought this like, you know, 12 foot giant Diet Coke bottle to put all the sodas in. I went to Sam's club, I bought 400 pretzels and, uh, you know, roommates were kind of laughing at me. They thought it was just, you know, a bizarre thing to do. And then that morning of this football game, I took in, you know, a couple thousand dollars and I was just like beyond excited that that worked. Uh, that was my first real sort of thing I tried on my own that, that worked. And at the time, uh, that was a lot of money and I was really excited. Uh, then uh, the first startup that I did was a company called Market Vision. And we went out on the road and we were basically like setting up booths on college campuses and trying, it, it evolved, but selling posters, signing kids up for websites, credit cards. Um, and we did one at the University of Michigan. And I remember being just mobbed because we were giving away a TV to one person. 
And, uh, you know, there was like dozens of people surrounding us. And I remember feeling like uh, I couldn't believe that, that this was probably what I would be doing for a few years. Because just in that moment, it was like, OK, this is working. Um, and then, yeah, the third big one, I guess, was when I started the YouTube channel. Uh, this was around 2007. So like the, the number one channel, I think, had 60,000 subscribers at the time. It was Lonely Girl 15. And um, I was like very confident that this song I had written about a presidential candidate at the time, Barack Obama, would uh, do really well. And then I would be able to start a YouTube channel on it. I didn't think it would become a business, but I was like, this, this, could, this will be a great YouTube channel. And the day that that video came out, uh, it, actually, nobody really saw it. But the day after that, then it got a lot of pickup. Um, it, it, somebody blogged about it and then CNN picked it up and then Fox news. And then all, all, all of us that worked on the video started getting phone calls to appear on the news and talk about it. So that was another moment where I was like, okay, I thought this thing would work and it actually worked. So yeah, those are some moments that stand out. And, uh, you know, all of those were things that did not require a lot of investment on my part, but did require, um, you know, taking some risk, taking a bet on myself. And then, uh, at YouTube, I've been able to be involved in some things that felt very entrepreneurial. The last six years or so, I've been on the YouTube Originals team. And the early days of YouTube Originals, we were really building you know, the plan for it. Uh, like what would it look like to build original content on YouTube? And so when it was like, I think it was maybe six of us at the time at an offsite. And now I think the team's up to about 60 or 70. But there's about six of us on an offsite trying to figure out like, what should YouTube Originals be? And that was a very, you know, um, rewarding, defining experience for me. And uh, then, yeah, the last one was I did like a, a voter registration campaign in 2020. I came up with an idea called Good to Vote, and that also worked really well. And so I guess that was the, the other thing which I started from scratch, which really had a lot of traction and did well. So I have a lot of things that didn't work also, but I would say those are like the four or five that stand out as, you know, things that I did, bet on myself, entrepreneurial, and felt like, you know, uh, really gave me confidence to keep trying new things. Absolutely, like amazing, like just so many different things that I think that is absolutely, like, like the variety of the stuff that you've tried out is absolutely like mind blowing to think about. When you first started, like like maybe we, we can like zoom in a little bit to like that first like real startup that you had like post-college and things like that. How, like, you mentioned this uh, a couple of minutes ago that it's often things that you tried out, you put a lot of effort into, and then it worked out that you that you found that you would grow, and, like, your passion for it would grow, and that would, like, eventually take off. How do you go about, like, especially in, like, the initial stages when you were still very new in that first startup, to actually get other people to support the idea and come on board? Because you said you mentioned you did it with a couple of friends. And yeah. what was kind of, like, the first few things that you did to actually get it off the ground. Because I mean, it's not easy probably like driving college campuses, organizing things, like like getting companies to actually get into the idea. So how do you really like not only make the idea work, but convince others that it was a worthy, like a worth it idea in a way? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, with the startup, I was fortunate because I was starting to work on the idea at Wisconsin. I had two friends who were working on the idea at Penn State they were having even more success than I was having at Wisconsin. So we all kind of came together and we're like, let's give this a shot. 
let's try to make a company out of this. Um, let's see with some of the other, I mean, I think generally speaking, when I try to have people come on board with a new idea, um, in addition to paying them, uh, a lot of it is being very open with them on, I don't know if this is going to work, but I really have a good feeling about it. And so if you want to take this chance with me, here's what I think sort of the best case version of it is. And here's the version of it that, you know, could completely flop and just being transparent about that. And I, again, the, the first one that comes to mind is like, yeah, that first YouTube video I did where I remember, you know, when I reached out to the directors, to the actress who was in it, to, you know, the editor, like all of it was under this idea of, I really have no idea if this will work, but I think it can. And if it does, you know, here's what I think could come out of it and kind of pitch them the vision. Um, I've had a habit with a lot of things, whether like while I'm working at YouTube or prior to YouTube of having people come on first in sort of a part-time role to get a sense of, do they like the work? Do we like working together? You know, what kinds of projects would fit? And so when I think about like building that first barely political team, everybody that started was always on more of like a trial basis. Michael Stevens came on as an editor. He did four videos. And then we started talking about, well, what if you started coming on 20 hours a week? And same with the writers and pretty much everybody was like, how do you find a way to work with somebody first, get a sense of whether it's a fit and, you know, then have them come on in a bigger role. Um, I'd say what's different is, you know, having built teams at YouTube, um, I haven't hired that many people, but maybe, you know, 20 or 25 people um, that I can, you know, on my team at YouTube. And I think there's always this yeah moment where it's like, I mean, a lot of people want to work at Google, but, you know, you want to make sure it's a fit where you kind of have the interview. And I do remember, um, you know, one person who I hired who was very on the fence because they love their current job. I was recruiting them asking them to join our team at YouTube. And most of what I tried to do again was like, I think because I would just feel terrible if they left the job they love for something that I oversold, I was just trying to introduce them to anyone and everyone on the team to give them a real sense, like let them take their time, give them a sense of who they'd be working with, et cetera. Um, and I remember like one person I hired, I don't think you would you know, mind me mentioning it. His name was uh, Matt Koval. He was like a YouTube creator, a lot of ways similar to myself, uh, loves making videos, but also has really had, I think, a great run at YouTube and done a lot of amazing th things while inside the company. And I remember when I hired him, you know, basically conversations about how could we craft the role to make sure he could remain creative in the role. Uh, so I guess the answers to your question would be uh, try when possible to work with the person and give them a sense of what the role is. Um, and also try to give them the opportunity to meet people on the team and to really understand what they'd be doing day to day to try to make a, a you know an assessment of whether it's a decision that they want to make. Okay, very very well said. And I think like I I I think in like a previous interview you mentioned that your first few directors you actually met on Craigslist and like got them involved from there. So we really don't have like an excuse. I think like when we say we don't have enough resources or the people to actually pull something off. And I think you, you've shown that like, yeah, at, like I mean, 
now more than then. I mean, then I use Craigslist, um, but there were it was more expensive then to make a YouTube video than it is now. Like I remember it being at Best Buy, um, trying to decide whether to upgrade my camera because I had like a nine hundred dollar Sony handheld camera. Oh. Certainly couldn't film it on a flip phone. Like I wanted it to look decent. Right now you could like you could totally film it on an iPhone. But at the time, I remember really stressing out, and I didn't upgrade the camera. Um, but I remember I was looking at like a fifteen hundred dollar camera, thinking like maybe I should upgrade to this, you know, to this nicer camera. And so yeah, for YouTube starting out, you don't need that. I mean, you're you're doing it with this show, obviously. Um, I don't know what have you learned. I mean, you just started this show. What, what, what's been kind of like your biggest takeaways on trying to start something from scratch that's creative that you're kind of you know responsible for? start to finish i guess i've just been very lucky because i've got like a lovely team that helps me out i think we have someone like managing the station like right now like adding things like for us whenever we speak and like that's been number one like my biggest takeaway is just having like people who are equally kind of like passionate about hearing these experiences and the stories and also because i feel like the show itself is like like on in my case it wasn't something that I did because I wanted to be like a YouTuber or anything. It's because I just genuinely really wanted to hear different stories and different experiences. And I right. felt kind of bad whenever I had these conversations that I was the only one getting this insight. And I thought how great right. it other people could kind of like be able to hear things that I was fortunate to kind of like pick up. So that's kind of like the, the behind the scenes of why I started the show. But it really also started, I think it was something that I started like on one, like, on one platform, just on kind of like the radio itself. Then we yeah. kind of like think, what if we like added in video? And then like, what if we added in like kind of like streaming it on YouTube or Facebook? And then eventually like other platforms. And now we, I think we stream on Clubhouse as well. And it's just been something that expanded like as we started working on it. And in my experience, right. like most things, like I start off small, grow eventually. But for you, like when you began in like the many things that you do, I think like even when your YouTube channel, you. I think it was within a couple of videos that your YouTube channel actually grew like by leaps and bounds and you actually managed to, to even get like people to buy over the channel in a very right. like, like short time period of time. What was it like that you think you did right that enabled your channel just explode and grow? Was it just like amazing content alone? Was it like being able to position it well or what was um, it kind of? Yeah, I guess I would attribute it to a few things. I mean, one of them definitely is YouTube was just easier in 2007. I mean, there was not the volume of content. So I was looking at the things that were breaking through and it felt realistic. Like, oh man, if we come up with the right idea at the right time, this could be the viral video of the day. And it's very different sort of the playbook for YouTube now than it was back in 2007. But some of the principles are the same. Uh, I think, you know, what I was doing at the time was basically because I came from a marketing background looking at what worked on YouTube and trying to put together the puzzle pieces to do my own thing. And I remember when I pitched, I, I came up with the YouTube video in June and the first one did really well. And I actually sold it, you know, the, the brand within like six weeks. And I remember when I sold it, I had this like grid where I was saying, basically, we're going to make, uh, you know, videos that really tap into what works on YouTube and it's music and it's comedy and it's like what's relevant right now in politics and it's you know authenticity and i sort of 
just tried to put together like here are the puzzle pieces of YouTube and here's why this political comedy channel will tap into all of that. Um, I mean, that was again, 15 years ago. So a lot has changed. I was kind of working on something the other day because I think one of the big things, and this is true for your podcast and true for anyone, it's very kind of cliche advice at this point for YouTube is basically not to overthink it and just start and just, you know, get over the hump and the fear just like I'm going to put something out there and it might work and it might not. But if you're a creative person, um, sometimes you still obviously can get trapped in trying to come up with the perfect thing. Whereas in reality, just like making things helps you get better and helps you realize what you want to do. Um, so yeah, I was working on this thing where uh, like, you know, on Wheel of Fortune, they before you even start guessing, they give you R-S-T-N-L-E. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Okay. Kind of. Um, yeah that for YouTube, anybody, you you know, who's giving you advice on YouTube is going to kind of give you the same thing. So like the same way, you know, so the R would be basically keep it real authenticity. You don't need huge production values. The S would be this idea of just start, just get going. The T would be uh, thumbnails, like for better or worse, thumbnails and titles are, are a huge part of the YouTube game um what am i missing here like i said i was just working on this like two days ago as i was thinking about you know things i've learned at youtube but the l i think would be this idea of like make content about things that you love um and that you're passionate about because that kind of like real passion about a subject is contagious just the same way that like you like learning from people when you talk about this show um and then the e again i haven't really built this out but i was thinking maybe experiment like uh you know you want to just keep trying different types of content until you find like oh this is what i want to spend my time making or i was also thinking maybe engagement like you know keep engaging with people anyways uh so this was a long-winded answer to why do i think that video worked um i think it was because i was early and it was a little bit easier i think it was because I had a marketing background and I probably was combining that I loved comedy with like sort of being really focused on what's working on YouTube and why. Um, and then also I got, uh, yeah, I got pretty lucky with the timing. We did a video about um, Barack Obama when he was running against uh, Hillary Clinton uh, for the 2008 nomination and Hillary Clinton um, had put out a video with Bill Clinton um, where they were kind of doing like a parody of the Sopranos ending. I don't know if you've seen Sopranos, but there was like a scene where they're in the diner, but it was like professionally shot. Um, I certainly wouldn't say it was cringy, but it felt like, oh, they're, they're trying really hard to do this. Right. And then what we did was um, 15, you know, 15 years ago, again, different landscape, but we were sort of saying like, no, this is actually Obama's fans coming up with something. It's not coming from the campaign. And then that was sort of like the story that I was trying to um, tell, you know, news organizations, whatever. It's like, this is different now with YouTube. It's not up to the campaigns to come up with what the message is. It's going to be in the hands of the viewers. And of course, we see that now much more with, you know, TikTok and Facebook and other platforms. Okay, so uh, so I think I was um, both using that to try to pitch the story, but then we also became part of that overall story 
about um, how YouTube would change and democratize politics, just like it was changing music and every other category. Uh, feels bizarre, this is 15 years later. Like I certainly can talk about the metaverse and AR and you know what's happening with other platforms. And I'm much more in tune now, I think, with what actually works on YouTube now. But if you're asking at the time when I started, because it was a long time ago, it was very much for me at the time, really about like, what does it take to go viral? What does it take to get tens of millions of views on videos? And I was able to do that a few times uh, early on. And then now on YouTube, like that's still part of the game. But I think the bigger part is like, how do you build a genuine community around your content, a loyal fan base? You know, that sort of shifted, I don't know, maybe around 2010, 2011, you started to see way more of these channels. Um, and then now I'm on the YouTube Originals team. And so, you know, we're, we're sort of, it's a, it's a bit of both. We fund content as YouTube. So some of it is like, we want to partner with the creators that have the biggest communities, but we're also trying to figure out what are the types of ideas that hopefully will break through and people are talking about off of YouTube as well. Okay. So I think that there's a few things that like we can talk about up like, like from that, because you just said like so many things that I have like questions on, but like one of the things like specifically that you mentioned is kind of like how YouTube has changed over the last kind of like 15 years. And that's definitely, I feel like something that even like, people who just casually watch YouTube can kind of like pick up just by kind of like what they're watching, um, how they're watching it and like the type of content that it's been. What what do you think have been your like favorite changes in the last 15 years? And the things that are probably your least favorite changes? Like, is it yeah. in the people, in the audience or in the type yeah, of content? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, okay, um, I'll try, I haven't thought of this answer, but I'll try to, do three of each. Three things I like a lot. Um, one is over the years, like these new categories break out every few months. And it's like, oh, cool. Like I remember because I've been to YouTube so long, like, oh, wow, makeup videos. This is like becoming a huge thing. And they're like, oh, gaming. All of a sudden, it's like these gamers are finding these you know, like-minded gamers and then you find it in, like smaller things. Oh, look at this. This whole community is built around, built around like, you know, planting at home or so that part of YouTube in terms of changes, although, you know, again, evolves year to year has uh, always been really fascinating to watch, like what types of communities and, you know, groups of people find, uh, you know, a way to connect over YouTube uh, with like a very specific type of video. Um, I would say it's been nice to see the creator economy really evolve into a, a way that like somebody with 30,000 subscribers now sometimes can basically be a full-time content creator. If those are like 30, 40,000 really engaged fans where, you know, when I started, um, we had, a, we had a site where we sold t-shirts and we did get, you know, into the advertising program, but it wasn't like there were, you know, all these different avenues of courses and memberships and Patreon and, and all this. Uh, this video is brought to you by blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, like we did we did that. But right now there is a whole creator economy that definitely didn't exist 
when I started on YouTube. Um, you know, even when we were acquired, uh, YouTube actually acquired the channel I started and was trying to figure out what that channel was worth. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion around like, well, what's the upside of a YouTube channel? Is it going to be selling books, making movies, like all the stuff that we didn't know? Um, so that's good. There's a whole creator economy. It's been fun to see that evolve. Uh, and then I would say, yeah, there's, there's definitely been um, an increase, I would say, in the uh, quality of the content just because so many more people are making things. And so, you know, there'll be these, um, like, when I started on YouTube, God, every time I say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I sound like somebody talking about TV in the 50s. But back in my day, uh, you know, there was more of like, this, you know, video should be three or four minutes. You gotta, you know, have something that's a short attention span, all this stuff. And then, yeah, really over the last, like, I'd say five, six, seven years, suddenly you see these channels doing really well with like 10, 20, 30 minute videos that are, you know, well-researched in depth. Like to me, that's what makes YouTube most unique from other video platforms um, in, in the sort of more, uh, you know, user generated space is that you can really go in depth on a subject. And so the audience really gets to know you and really gets a lot of information. We also have YouTube shorts and it's been, you know, obviously fascinating to watch how TikTok has changed the way people consume video. But um, yeah, I like that part of YouTube that uh, it's, yeah, uh, it's very in depth. Um, okay, wow, this is another long answer, but three things that I don't like about YouTube, um, or not that I don't like, but that have changed for the worse. Um, I think the, the sort of, uh, strain on creators over time has been tough. Like when I started, it was so new that I don't think anybody was talking about burnout because everything was so exciting and new. And then that has been something which, you know, has been tough to watch creators that I'm friends with and, and care about just like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm burned out. I can't make videos every you know, a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, a, a lot of them have figured out ways to adjust their schedule. But that, that's been something that's um, certainly, I don't think anything's changed about YouTube. It's just something that, you know, now you have people who have been making videos for 10, 12 years. And so, you know, their priorities change. Um, what else? I would say, uh, I mean, from a very just me personally um when i started on youtube there was phenomenal short form comedy like the <laughs> onion uh i'm trying to think of all the examples college humor um you know i don't know cracked funny or die like our channel i thought made some great stuff and uh that was sort of a model that worked and then over time, I think it became harder and harder to create these like big, you know, sort of higher production writing team, you know, those types of sketches. So you still see great sketches, obviously, on YouTube, you know, coming off of TV. And you also see individuals doing hilarious stuff on their own. But uh, yeah, at one point on YouTube, it was sort of a, uh, an idea that you could build a whole comedy network with a staff of writers and a cast and crew. And there's a handful, I think, that are still figuring ways to be in that space. But it, that's definitely 
um, been harder. All right, we'll end there. That, that, that's a long answer. No, that's a good point. I never thought of that. No, that's, that's a really good point. And I, and I too love all of those kind of like, like YouTube channels that really take the effort to kind of like have their own thing. And like, like, it's kind of like the replacement for TV. And I think, I hope I, we see more of that no way, but no, no, I, I like that point. Um, another thing that you mentioned that was like particularly interesting is the fact that like your little breakdown earlier kind of like the wheel of fortune like basic letters for like youtube yeah. content creators one of the rules that you had previously i think not when your channel was acquired but but when the company that acquired your channel was acquired by youtube and uh you became part of kind of, if i'm not mistaken the team that had to kind of like understand what worked well and right. teach and kind of like transfer that knowledge to kind of like the the YouTube community yeah. so other people could understand that. For me, I find that that's some kind of like the best test of success. Not only that you can be successful, but that you can repackage that and help other people be successful in a way. But again, yeah. something that I find really, really hard to do because you've got to number one, understand where things went right. And number two, right. say that in a way that, that can be replicated. What, what was kind of like your like experiences going into that? Was it like hard to figure out like should I do a workshop or this or that? Or was it something that came naturally to you to kind of like see, all right, this is what worked and yeah. So yeah, we had um been working on like a playbook at Next New Networks that when we were acquired by YouTube, we sort of reinvented into the creator playbook. Originally it was a playbook for the creators that we managed, there was like a hundred creators that Next New Networks um, had in a, a basically an MCN program. And then when we were acquired, we rewrote it and, and made a YouTube version. And then in terms of the workshops, I did create one um, that was similar to the thing I was just telling you about the Wheel of Fortune. I was like, let's try to pick 10 things that people need to know about YouTube. And I wrote this presentation called the 10 Fundamentals of Creative Strategy. And it wasn't focused on thumbnails and optimization and you know some of the audience development stuff it was more like if you're trying to come up with an idea here's how you can make it you know discoverable targeted shareable conversational you know there's there's these 10 different areas and that became sort of a presentation that i could give in 45 minutes or i could stretch out the three hours into a workshop but it was this idea that these are the, the things that if you're thinking of an idea that might help you uh, succeed on YouTube. I don't think it was actually hard writing the workshop. I think I was a little bit self-conscious about taking a you know sort of formula to content creation when I knew that you know you could break through with content that's not conversational or um, you know targeted or topical. That like we tried to come up with these different areas that could help you think about what would work, but at the same time you know, creativity, you don't want to have a box around these are the the rules. And I'm sure this is true with a lot of things. There's people go to school for, you know, filmmaking. And then I'm sure I think, you know, there's filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino that would say, like, don't go to film school, just start making things and you'll figure it out. Um, overall, I do. I did like that role, I think, for about two or three years I was doing that before I moved to the YouTube Originals team. And um, I did like it because it was good to get in front of a group and try to help them unpack what this new platform is all about and how to succeed on it. 
And then, you know, I had my own channels that I was running at the time. So it gave me some credibility going in there to kind of get up and say, hey, I've got these channels, they're working and here's why. And also, I mean, this is more this whole idea of trying to balance like being creative with being valuable to a big company like YouTube. But, you know, YouTube didn't care that Barely Political was getting 150 million views a month, even if that was a, a huge number on YouTube because YouTube was getting billions of views a day. So there was no way for me to do anything with that channel that people at YouTube would be like, this is, this is important for us with this channel. So I had to position the channel as a way to continue to learn, which was true. And I wanted to stay sharp. And I feel like you're much better at advising people on YouTube while you're in the process of still making videos. Um, and then, yeah, it just was like, as I was trying to figure out this playbook of how to, to come up with creative ideas, it was more about, I could scale that, I could turn it into resources, I could show how it could impact media companies and brands and small creators. And so, yeah, when you're at a, a company, um, well, really any company, not just the size of Google, but any company, you just wanna show that you're having a, a lot of impact and that you're able to, um, you know, bring a lot of value. And so for me, uh, I loved running the channels and I do think it kept me sharp, but it was sort of like developing these resources that gave me sort of a, you know, um, a way through, and it wasn't just me, it was the, the team, uh, as well that came up with these resources and show like we can scale what works on YouTube. Absolutely brilliant. And I think that part that I especially liked is how you positioned yourself in a way and how you position the channel. And I, that seems to be something that you do very effectively throughout your journey. It's either you you pitch an idea or like present something that you have in a way that seems to like get absolutely like out of this world results. Like I think you mentioned that. No, like you mentioned that in the beginning. And then like when you were in your channel was first acquired after its first video. And I think um, you mentioned that just um, earlier and like why you like you kind of like got youtube to let yeah. you like still like work on like your own channel and i think also like when when your channel went through a little bit of a rebrand and um i think you guys had uh, this thing called keys of awesomeness and like you, you actually right. like you pitched that as something new uh just when you were trying that out so you seem to be like really really great at like coming up with an idea but not just coming up with the idea but presenting that idea. And I feel like one of the things that many amazingly creative people lack is that ability to, to not just have the idea, but communicate that idea. And you've also worked on series and projects with some of the biggest stars out there. Like I mentioned earlier in your introduction, people like Katy Perry, Kevin Hart, Demi Lovato. How do you go about coming up with ideas or like or positioning those ideas so that people want to listen? So at a, at a corporate scale, but also at a scale right. of engagement, like, like people out there who are stars and uh, very, I would say, like influential people in a way. Yeah, um, I, w I will say, I, and I say this to people, especially in undergrad all the time, that the ability to present ideas is so important to craft a story and be able to explain to people clearly why you think this will work and why they should, you know, place their chips on your idea. Um, is just so important. I've seen so many people with, you know, decent ideas, sell them through with a great pitch and the reverse you see all the time where there's like phenomenal ideas that just, you know, aren't really sold in. And I do think there's, uh, and, I, and I've had moments where 
I've been in the room and I've felt like, you know, right now it's a Sunday night. I don't think I have my A game, but I would just be able to, you know, look somebody in the eye, pitch it as concisely and as convincingly as possible and leave the room and be like, yes, that was worth the, you know, all the preparation to figure out how I would sell this idea. And, and then I've had other times where I definitely have left the room and felt like I can't believe I rambled for so long or whatever the mistake was. So I do think there's a lot of importance on that. Um, I like that you assume that I, I have, uh, you know, an ability to collaborate with celebrities and convince them to do things. I, there's not a whole lot of that in my job. It's a lot more really the celebrities and their teams coming in and pitching ideas to us. Uh, I've been on the buying side now for six years. And so we heard a lot of pitches. I remember some of the best pitches being from talent. I mean, I had one where, you know, Kobe Bryant pitched us an idea and it was for a children's book series that he was going to turn into a video series. And it was just absolutely uh, remarkable just the way he was able to command the room like the and the passion he showed for the idea and when i think about the celebrity pitches a lot of times obviously especially with the actors like if will smith wants to sell an idea you know he can really sell an idea but i've had a few of those where uh, i was really impressed not just by celebrities but by producers who were able to pitch a vision clearly and we bought shows based on that more than based on, you know, how big the channel was or any kinds of projections. It was really about like, do they have a clear vision, not just for the first season, but you know, where it'll go from there, et cetera. Um, I think, yeah, the, the times that I've, I've gotten to do that, a lot of times it's more convincing people to do something that's going to work on YouTube, not a new idea. Like, we, Kevin Hart pitched us a weight loss show and it was called Hungry Nation. And it was, I think that's what it was called. But anyways, it was a, basically a weight loss show and it was going to have contestants and someone would be eliminated every week. And I remember talking to somebody on the team and basically saying, I don't think reality shows like this are going to work on YouTube, you know, because you just aren't going to be able to track week to week who's eliminated and it's just not the right kind of format. So we basically worked with uh, the team that pitched it, which is a great team, to reinvent the show to fit YouTube. And it completely changed into something where Kevin Hart worked out with other celebrities. Uh, it ended up getting over, I think, 450 million views across you know the three seasons that we did. But I remember being on the phone with them and, and kind of walking them through, uh, I want this to work as much as you. Uh, this is what I think will work on YouTube. It's just a different platform. And so again, like I'm not convincing production companies to do ideas. They're pitching us the ideas. I think when I'm convincing teams to do things, um, it's a little bit more about, I think this will really work on YouTube. Or now my role has changed the last three years. The role has been on a head of innovation, YouTube originals. How do you sort of take advantage of what makes YouTube unique? So sometimes then we're trying to, you know, convince these shows like why they should try new features, like smaller things. I shouldn't say smaller, but, you know, more um, standard things like adding chapters to their shows to much bigger things like, you know, how they can really create like an interactive experience on YouTube. And so that type of um, 
yeah, that type of pitch can be uh, trickier because I do think producing for television is completely different than producing for YouTube. Again, so many brilliant things that you mentioned. So I've got to get like, I've got to ask at least one question like this, but what do you think are the top three things that content creators should know, but they don't know, or that, that you wish they knew in a way? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, content creators, I have to kind of, you know, think of it through different lenses. Cause like a, a content creator who's just as a hobby is so different than like a media company, but let's just say like your average content creator, an individual, they've been watching a lot of TikTok and YouTube and thinking like, well, I want to do this. I want to have an audience and get 50,000 views a video. Um, I would say the things that they don't know. Uh, okay. One is this idea. I've heard it a few times lately, but I still like it. Um, this idea that like someone says to uh, their class, you guys spend, you know, a month and make like the very best clay pot you can make. And just, you know, you get to make this pot and spend all the time you want on it. And then to the other group, they say, and you guys get to just make as many pots as you can. Just keep making pots or whatever. And then I guess the idea is the ones that keep making a bunch of pots come out way better than the people that get to spend a month because they just keep getting better at it. And you could use the same, I guess, story for photography or anything artistic. And I think that's um, something that is true that you just get better at anything by sort of putting yourself through the fire, making mistakes, quickly adjusting, and that early on, uh, it's really important to uh, produce a lot, even if you're not, you know, making it all public. Um, let's see. I mean, if I'm talking about younger creators, God, I feel like a lot of this stuff is cliche, but, you know, I like this sort of uh, expression that, uh, like, when you're 20, you're worried about what everybody thinks. And then when you're 30, you stop worrying about what people think. And then when you're 40, you realize nobody's thinking about you. Nobody cares. Just like do your thing. Nobody's worried about what you're doing. And yeah, I guess that idea of if you're really a creative, don't let that get in the way of making things. This like fear of what people think. I'm such a hypocrite saying that though. All the time, I think I have ideas for videos. And then I start thinking, you know, sorry if I'm being a little, you know, transparent late in the episode here but you know i feel like i have this pressure of i've given speeches about how to go viral and i've got billions of views from my own channel and from originals and now i've got this idea i want to do and then i like will freeze up on a little bit because i'll be like but ah oh, man what if like you know 50 people see it and then i don't know i got i'm, I'm, I'm so i don't want to um sound like i'm uh you know lecturing or uh you know, that, that I'm some a wise person on the subject. But I do think that's true, that a lot of people overthink that. And then let's see, maybe, maybe something really specific. I mean, ultimately, this is maybe a, a more detailed answer. But uh, when people think about YouTube and what works on YouTube as a content creator, I don't know if people realize that it's you know, largely driven by, is your audience going to keep watching more and more of your videos? And so, you know, for that reason, 
it's not about will they complete that single video it's about when they watch it are they going to keep watching other videos on your channel are they going to keep watching other videos on other people's channels that youtube wants you know to basically uh recommend content that's going to lead to people watching a lot more content and so there's different ways to adjust for that i think one of them is really try to think about you know how you can trim the fat out of your content and get people to not click away that's not true for everybody it depends on your goals but like if you listen to you know mr beast who's certainly you know by far the breakout creator of the last few years on youtube i think he's at 90 million subscribers or something and probably has triple the next you know highest over the last year i think he picked up another 30 million in 2021. you know a lot of his thing is like trim all the fat out of every video hook them in the first second make the entire thing super entertaining end with something really entertaining and then just roll right into the next video i think you know that is a big part of why he's been so successful um so you know i'd say that's uh something which not a, a lot of people realize is that um the you know the 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 vast majority of your video views are going to come from recommendations and those recommendations are largely driven by you know when someone watches your video are they going to keep watching more of your stuff more youtube videos and a lot of times you know the most successful channels have figured out a way to obviously keep people watching you also mentioned earlier in your story that as much as you've had so many successes you've also had a couple of failures and I feel like, like when, like, especially when it comes to like putting stuff out there on YouTube and all of that, these failures can sometimes feel very personal because it's just like, I put my heart and soul and my, my ideas and my creativity and everything I got into this thing. And either maybe they didn't get the best feedback. Like I remember like I, there was one, like, like my sister is a musician. So she, she got like a lot of likes and then she got this one negative comment on her, on her YouTube, like video. There were so many nice once but that one comment really bothered her for like a week and like maybe yeah. I had to speak to her a couple of times and I'm, like so many more people they they get either like maybe zero response or not the response they wanted or it things just don't work out the way they think it is like it, they sh it should in the very beginning stages have yeah. you ever been in a position where something doesn't work out and how do you bounce back from that and actually have that kind of like that interest in motivation to keep iterating and until you hit kind of like the goal uh yeah i mean i've certainly dealt with bad comments not one or two when we used to put up videos we'd get you know thousands of comments and you know hundreds of them would be this is disappointing or negative or whatever like there's always you know a, a group of people that didn't like a video uh i took it more personally when it was myself and that was very rare like i remember the first video i put up on YouTube that I was in or one of the first ones because I wasn't in a lot of our videos like the first comment was like what's up with this guy's eyebrows how weird are this guy's eyebrows and I was like oh my god like I could read it about other people but about myself and then well, you know, I that. Like, yeah. that for 20 years but like uh, I, I I didn't have to deal as much with the personal criticism so I certainly can't speak from expertise on that because I just wasn't in a lot of videos and then um the now picturing the comments on this video being about my eyebrows and we go through this again uh no uh yeah the uh i guess 
I, I don't want to pretend I'm like great at this. I am not somebody who lets, you know, criticism just, uh, you know, roll off of me. I definitely, I definitely probably still need to work on that, whether it's, you know, somebody in a video. I mean, could we have that all the time. We're like, we'll put up a YouTube original and we'll work for months on it, years on it, whatever. And then it finally comes out. And when there's negative feedback, I take it personally. Um, how do you bounce back from that? I mean, there must be so many good quotes and points of view on this. I would say um, I try to stick to really basic stuff. Like, is this going to matter in a few years? um you know grand scheme of things what is one one individual who doesn't like a video matter a kind of general hopefully like zen attitude about if you're gonna be working on 10 creative projects at a time they're just not all gonna work i don't know if i'm offering of anything of, of value there uh except that um yeah i guess what i said before uh i don't think you know, it's a healthy, like the a healthy thing, of course, to worry about what other people are thinking about you. They're probably not thinking about you. Get rid of ego. If you can get rid of your ego, you're good to go. I mean, you know, again, um, I'm not great at this stuff. I read all of it. I understand it. Be grateful. Be present. Get rid of ego. Uh, so I, I think, um, you know, focus maybe on the big picture when some of the criticism comes in. All right. And I think you, you have shared that like throughout the conversation as well about kind of like stop overthinking things and, and, and not really like zero in on like what people are saying. I just kind of like remember that. And I think the good thing about like YouTube and all of what I've realized is that people are not sitting there obsessing about me saying this person is horrible and things like that. They just commented and they left and they, they moved on with their lives. But like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I I'm both. I mean, I, I, love making things, whether it's like, you know, again, the, the, the experiences that I love the most are building things from scratch, whether it was like the good to vote stuff, the barely political stuff, the early startup, it's, uh, you know, really fulfilling and gratifying when it works, but nobody who knows me would be like, Ben knows how to not overthink things. Um, I am not that person when I, Oh, any idea I am, you know, up at night overthinking about it, every aspect of it. It's yeah, not something I should be lecturing anybody on how to not overthink things. <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of good to hear that. I'm I'm kind of like happy with this answer because I'm just like, you. it's not just us, like it's normal. Because like when you overthink, when you have like five views versus when you overthink, when I think like you have like billions of views, I feel like we tend to like be like, oh gosh, how are we ever going to get success? How is like this ever going to work out? But knowing that you overthink too, I think makes us all feel like a little bit better. Yeah. At the very yeah. I mean, the truth is, and not everybody is going to have success. I think, you know, ultimately it's like, it's good to do it because then you won't regret, oh man, I really should have tried it. But yeah, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people right now who are, you know, eyes on the prize trying to become a full-time content creator. And there's like definitely a wave now of ways to, to make that happen that didn't exist before, but, but yeah, not everybody's going to be able to make it happen. But I think either way it's, it's worth giving a shot.
What are, what, are you, what have you been doing this radio show for a while? Give me some things you've learned. Some things that I've learned? Yeah, what sticks with you? You've, you've been going in, in threes. What are three things you learned from all your interviews that you think stick with you? Um, Whatever issue that I face or that whatever that I feel, oh my God, this is horrible. I'm going to like, like, like it's never going to work out. Is probably me over dramatizing it because it's probably right. not going to matter like five, 10 years from now. And right. like, I'm, and I'd be so embarrassed if I stopped whatever I'm doing because of this small thing. Just because, like, I hear a lot of these experiences, like your experiences over like 15 years with YouTube, and then I'm just like, if I give up after this one video gets like a bad review, I'm like, like 15 years from now, I'm going to just like be so mad at myself. So it's just like yeah. put things into perspective. That's like my number one. Yeah. Uh, number two is just to kind of like realize that um, it's not like, and this is something that like my my team and my mentor says is like getting things done or like achieving success is not like complicated it's simple but not easy like right. like it's always like the like the basic things it's just like like as you said you've got to iterate you've got to kind of like um like like just really focus on it like like yeah. not this people say it's all like like simple things it's just it's not easy to do and i realized that most of the time like it's not easy because of like my own inability to kind of like like manage my emotions or what i what i feel when i like like am in this yeah. situation if i just learn how to do that part of it just kind of like manage myself then i can focus on really just doing those simple steps and, and hopefully that leads to some success and i think the third thing is um to ask for help like I think one of the things from this show is that I've been really, really fortunate. Like people like you actually came on my show. That's like a huge thing. And it's just like a, one of the things that I realized is that if you reach out to people out there and you want to hear their story and you think that you could learn something valuable, people actually are like kind enough to actually spend their time like how you are. And I think that every like sometimes we feel very alone in the things that we do and or or like we don't know what to do and we're not sure where do we go from here. Yeah. And I feel like just reaching out has been like totally something that I've learned through the show. And I've heard people say that on the show as well. And I'm always just like amazed of how much power kind of like having people around you actually like, like helps you and you want to achieve that. So those are my three things. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, that last one is definitely top three for me. Um, getting advice from people you trust, but then also specifically when I talk to college students, I always say like, this is the time to reach out to alumni doing the things you think you might want to be doing in 10, 20 years. Ask them what they like, what they don't like, what they learned, what they wish they knew, what book they, you know, wish they had read or that they did read that they, you know, really benefited from. And, you know, if you can keep in touch and all that stuff, um, partially because it's just so important to hear the real version of that and not just read articles and, you know, all that. Uh, also, because if you're looking to enter that field, talking to people who actually are in it will give you sort of a, a, a confidence that when you're talking to somebody else, you actually understand the industry. Um, and then also that when you're in college, you just are going to get more yeses. Like I, if you're, if you, I don't know, I can't remember if you emailed me or you reached out on LinkedIn, but like when people reach out from Wisconsin or Penn, I, I don't think I've ever said no. I mean, I, I try to do as many you know, of those as possible, but partially because I feel like I can keep it to a short conversation. Whereas like somebody out of school is usually looking for a job, exploring career 
things. Uh, and then, you know, yeah, I'm just thinking now, maybe I don't want to say in a radio show, I've never said no to somebody who reached out from Penn. So maybe we'll cut that out so I don't have an inbox. But you get what I'm saying. Like, if we're going to do a re-edit here so I don't get myself completely in trouble, um, I would recommend that people who are in school reach out to alumni uh, who are doing the things that they want to be doing in 10, 20, 30 years, so that they're exploring doing, that a lot of times alumni will say yes to those requests. Not all of them, but a lot will. And that you'll just get a really different kind of perspective than you can get from reading articles uh, and books that you, you kind of need to talk to the people who have been through the trenches and understand uh, that career path. No, very, very good advice. And I think that's something that I've personally always believed in is that you you only like, like I love like being able to Google things and figure things out like online and read about it. But I feel like that's 10% of like, a, a billion percent that there is to learn and that nothing really beats like getting that real experience from people who've gone through it before. So you definitely like yeah. answered that. And, and even more so than that, of course, doing it. I mean, you know, again, whether yeah. it's making YouTube videos or, you know, getting the internship or raising your hand to help somebody out for, you know, a week, if it's whatever, like being um, in the role is, is important to figure out, you know, how you can get experience as well. Um, what, what are you sort of, uh, thinking longer term, you might want to go into media. We haven't really talked about it, but are you like, now that you've done this, have you kind of gotten the bug and you want to do podcasts for the next 20 years or are you sort of this for you a limited project and who knows whether or not you're still doing a podcast in the six months? Honestly, I've been really, I've been infected by the bug of kind of like, I don't know, the the, the fun of conversation and, and like content creation. So this show is definitely something that I want to see grow and I want to like grow it out. Um, at Ascendance, well, the, the startup I run, I think we've all gotten infected over the pandemic because it's just been like, how, how do you reach out to people? And, and one of the, that was like from transitioning physically, we started kind of like an entire series of different content that we have uh, run by different people of all ages. So some are run by like uh, students who are in like like 14, 15, and they, they come out and share about things that they want to talk to talk about, whether that's mental health or whether that's comedy, uh, college students or like finance professionals who do like like fun sessions on finance and like mine was basically about conversation and business and entrepreneurship and figuring things like in your life out so definitely i feel like i've infected many people to keep on creating content we have over 50 sh like events or or series that we produce a year now and wow. this is nice. yep so i'm just really excited to see how that grows and of course i love my show like a little too much so i i definitely think that this is something that i want to like take to the next level and hopefully get some of your advice on that so that I don't, I don't know, burn out and crash and die halfway. And, and I don't know, like <laughs> succumb to criticism along the way. Yeah. From well, this is a good format though. I mean, I don't know. I, again, I don't know how long you would want to do it for, but I, I definitely think that there's certain types of formats that are so tough to figure out. How do I keep reinventing the wheel? but a format where you're talking to people you're interested in having conversations about things you're interested in feels like something with you know a lot of longevity um yeah i i uh i've never uh i've never done a podcast but i listen to a lot of them and uh yeah it, it feels to me like if i was 
in your shoes, especially early on, I guess, to your point, it gives you an opportunity to both run a show, but also learn in the process. All right. Yeah. Final question then. If yeah. you could travel back in time and if you could tell yourself one thing, what would you tell yourself? Like maybe as an undergrad or someone, because because you wouldn't know like all of this amazing things that you've done. You didn't know. So like, what would you tell yourself? Right. Um, I think I would tell myself, um, it's not like it's a brand new question, but I also don't feel like I have an answer. I mean, when I look back now, I, I feel like I uh, wish I was more uh, in the moment for a lot of these experiences. Again, not to take a very sort of like big picture view. I don't think this is necessarily, you know, groundbreaking career advice, but I just feel like I was always thinking about the next thing. And then now I look back on, you know, five years as a creator, 10 years at YouTube, every business school, the startup um, that, you know, I'm getting better, better just like being present in the moment. You know, when I'm with my kids, I'm not looking at my phone. When I'm in a meeting, I'm not also checking email and trying to get ahead that like being present, being able to compartmentalize is something which I didn't get good at probably until, you know, more recently. And so I'm, I'm happy that I've, I've learned to uh, be better at that. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. Oh, yeah, I mean, another blockbuster, do this and your career will succeed by age 25 advice that anyone could give us. I think it's more. Yeah, I don't know if I had. I mean, I, I, I had a lot of yeah, lucky breaks early on that I think helped me out a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the way I feel, just to, to yeah, this, I forget. It has nothing to do with being twenty five. I was gonna start rambling about something completely different. <laughs> no, but. Thank you so much for for not just that, but for I think all of the stuff that you shared. I I personally thought that this was like a really fun conversation, and I learned so much. I think not just as a content creator, but about kind of like managing myself as a content creator and as a person in kind of like the journey. And that is something that I think not many people are willing or able to impart with the human side of it. And I learned so much from kind of like just having this conversation with you. And I just hope that you had as much fun as I did talking to us on the show as well. Love it. And love what you're doing here. I mean, really, this is, you know, and, and also when I interview people, when I'm thinking about people to work with, to me, you want something to be able to point to that you built that's creative. And it's less about, you know, answering a question as it is about being able to point to something and saying, this is what I did. This was, you know, why I did it. This is what I learned from it. That those kinds of experiences are really important. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I gotta go back and listen to some of your previous episodes. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to our audience. Thank you guys for listening uh, and watching our show. Um, this has been Changing Reality. We're on every Thursday at 10 p.m. ET uh, from WQHS Radio and whatever time that is around the world, you guys are listening live. So thank you guys and till next Thursday. Bye. Thanks. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world.
only on WQHS Radio.